and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the dangers of upward social mobility so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Dark Angel by V.C. Andrews. Joining us to discuss the second volume in the Castile Family series is Ariel, V.C. Andrews' enthusiast and apologist. Hello, welcome. Hi. <laughs> uh... This is our third venture into the world of V.C. Andrews. We've read Flowers in the Attic, and we've read My Sweet Audrina, and... God help us, please let it be the last. <laughs> it's so interesting, because V.C. Andrews, I, I, there's she is such a beloved author, and there's so many people who like feel so fondly toward these books, and like grew up with them. And for most of the stuff we read, like, even if I don't personally like it, I feel like I can understand the appeal of it. You know, like, if you are reading all those Fox News books, it's because you are uninterested in questioning white privilege and you want to be soothed by that. (laughs) And, like, I don't like that, but I get what you're getting out of this. Um, Or, like, you know, some of the romance novels where I'm like, well, this is kind of over the top, but if, you know, I could see where this would be an appealing fantasy but I can't wrap my head around V.C. Andrews, and I feel like I'm doing this, like, anthropological study where I'm just like, is this what you like? Is this the what's likable? I don't know. I can't I can't figure it out. Yeah, I, like, I, I don't know what it is about. I, I had the same issue with, I can't remember um, my feelings about Flowers in the Attic, but I do know that I had the same issue with my sweet Audrina where I was just like, this is excruciating and it is hours of my life I'll never get back. And I feel that way about a lot of books, but these, the books that I most frequently feel that way about are not, they are usually like the Fox News books and such. Like, I feel like this should be one that I'm like, oh, like I kind of get it, even though I don't personally get it. But like, I, I just... I, I, I don't, I don't get it. And it was very difficult to get through this. Sounds like I chose the right book for you guys. Yes. No, you were like, this is what we're here for. I mean, this I think is going to be a good episode because there's so much to talk about, but it is. And, and I remember, um, so Flowers in the Attic was the first VC Andrews book we did. And the first one I ever read. And before I read them, I, you know, I was aware of, the uh, reputation of V.C. Andrews and her novels, and I had assumed that it would be a lot sexier, you know, and I know it's it's the taboo and the incest and all that, but I really thought there would be a lot more of them having sex, and it really barely was any. And same with this, like, there's just a, a tiny dash of the actual sex and the, even of the actual sort of flirtation. And so, you know, if you made a pie chart, it would be the tiniest sliver of actual romance. And then just a huge, huge inedible piece of sadness porn and house description. And increasingly like, bizarre and contrived plot twists. Plot twists, uh, family trees, her comfort. I think there's a lot of taking to bed with a fever uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it was it was a lot and it was 
hard. So we watched the other night, um, very, very recently, they made this, the Castile family saga, into a series of Lifetime movies. Um, like, I think they premiered in August. And they were available to rent on Hoopla. So the other night. Yeah, plug, uh, plug for your public library. Check out Hoopla. Use it to watch the C. Andrews movies. Or also Avatar library. on there. <laughs> Also, Avatar The Last Airbender is on there if you'd like to watch something better than mm. this movie. What about Blue um, Cat Avatar? Is that on there? I don't know. I did not look for that. All right. um, but so we watched the movie of this, and like literally the first thing that I said to Renato was that it felt like the previously on for this book as opposed to like the actual everything moved so quickly with no transition and no like when you take out all of the long periods of her internal narration about her like anguished thoughts things just happened very quickly and and yeah it just sped through like the first half of the book in like 10 minutes well, even, you know, so I read this and then I went back through to try to construct an outline slash to help me remember this book before my mind deletes it all. And it's really interesting because chapter by chapter, like one chapter is just a school dance. And then one chapter is an entire school year. Like, well, after that, the things went pretty quickly and then I graduated. And it's just like, and then another chapter is like four years. And There's then, a chapter that is just her entire time in college and then graduating from college and then, like, traveling after college. Yeah, and and I get that, you know, you sometimes you just need to move the plot along and sometimes you want to have these set pieces that, like, tell you about the family, but it is jarring. Yeah, it is very, is all very weird. Anyway, so we've got our venting out of the way. Um, Ariel, why don't you... Um, do you want to try to explain why you like these books? And I, I know there's a lot to put on you, but I am genuinely curious. And I know that you're not alone. I know that tons of people love these books, and I don't get it. I like that she is completely unironic. She writes what the fuck she wants. She writes people behaving how she wants them to behave, and she just doesn't care. There's no, like, tongue-in-cheek. There's no, like, winking and nudging. She is just this really weird person who overestimates her writing skills, but, like, not really. I think she's a good writer in terms of aesthetic and and um, environment and everything. And I think she's just, in terms of, like, writers who just write bullshit, I think she's great at that. And most importantly, she doesn't care how ridiculous her things are. And they're also, like, really psychologically revealing about her, where there's not a lot known about her, but based on the few pieces of what's available about her life and the recurring themes in her novels, you could be like, oh, that's why she's fucked up. (laughs) But I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I know that you made a, a pilgrimage to the VC Andrews archives, which the are Holy Land, yeah, which are Boston. at Boston University. And I know that this book is partly set in Boston, and one of the characters goes to BU. Did VC Andrews go to BU? I don't think she went anywhere. Okay, because that was kind of what I thought too. But then there was, um, you know, pop, popped back up, and I remember that. Um, so did she have a connection there? 
Like, why did she give their stuff to BU? Um, I forgot either. <laughs> I think they just randomly, like, left it on their doorstep pretty much. What? I, I forgot. Um, it just, that's where she wanted it to go. Okay. Um, did you find anything particularly interesting at the archives? Yeah, there were a lot of letters. She really loved her abilities as a writer. She was, um, she did consider herself like a genius. And, you know, she made bank on her books. Like, she was uh, writing how much she made and doing the math and figuring out, like, how much more she could be making. She was a shrewd negotiator. Um, she talked about the men who fell in love with her through her books, which, like, good for her. I, I don't know if they're all made up, but, like, she made repeated references to, like, a soldier who wrote that he was in love with Kathy Dollinganger and assumed that she was Kathy Dollinganger, and so by association, he was in love with her. She wrote that to, like, three people. And um, she said that Flowers in the Attic is based on a true story because one time she went to the doctor and the doctor said, you remind me of my sister. And also my sister and I and our siblings were locked in an attic for several years. And that's where she got the idea from for Flowers in the Attic, allegedly. And so she wrote to the sister and said, hey, are you ever going to turn your life into a novel? And the sister said no. And so she called dibs on that life story. Um, again, I, I can't help but question, uh, everything she says, but the, that's the stuff she put in her letters. And, um, there were a couple of editor's notes where it just totally reveals how little she gives a shit about reality, where the editor, the editor lets her get away with pretty much everything, but at one point he was like, um... Children can't actually hide the fact that they have a pony in their backyard from their parents. <laughs> like they're gonna they're gonna come home smelling like pony. And she like there was a bit of a back and forth and she eventually changed it to a Saint Bernard. But somebody had to tell her, like, you you can't you can't hide a pony in your backyard as a kid. You're gonna it, it's a lot of work. <laughs> you can't just keep that a secret from your parents but what if you have a hedge maze to keep it in though well, they, so it was um it was actually an early draft of petals on the wind the flower not not petals in the wind the, the third flowers in the attic book where they have kids and one of the kids is like a murderer and the mother's living next door um cloaking herself and wearing a veil um and bribing the kids with ponies and saint bernard's Beautiful. She doesn't care. She doesn't give a shit. She just writes what she wants to write, and I respect that. Yeah, I mean, I respect it, but I don't gotta read it. <laughs> <laughs> Except they do. we made this podcast. <laughs> shit. <laughs> Speaking of shit, let's talk about the plot of this book. Um, so before we talk about the plot of this book, here is some quick background from the book. This is the second book in a, the series. Um, so basically what you need to know about the first book before we go forward is that Heaven was born in a backwoods West Virginian town and she grew up like super, super poor. Her mother died in childbirth. Her father 
um, when they was really hurting for money at some point, sold her and her siblings for $500 each to various other families. The people who bought Heaven were a couple called uh, Kitty and Cal, and Kitty basically made her a maid and made her take care of the house, and Cal eventually um, raped her, and to the point where her, her high school boyfriend, and her high school boyfriend misinterpreted this, I guess, as a consensual relationship and broke up with her, and she is now headed to... Uh, outside of Boston, where her maternal grandparents live, uh, in a very they're they're very rich. Her her step grandfather. She finds out that the man who is married to her grandmother is not her actual grandfather, who died a few years ago, uh, but is her step grandfather, who married her grandmother when um, her mother was like twelve, and they live in a huge fancy house called Farthingale Manor. Her grandmother, Jillian, refuses to be called grandmother because she's obsessed with looking younger. And Heaven is shocked to learn how old she actually is because she looks like 30 and is actually in her 50s? I think she's 60. I think she's 60. Yeah. And Tony, her step-grandfather is like hot and cold. Like her grandmother is very clearly not interested in her. Tony is kind of hot and cold on her and essentially makes a, she also discovers that her grandmother implies that she's only going to be staying for a brief visit. Whereas when her father sent her here, he implied that uh, she was going with them to live until she went to college. So her grandfather, Tony, makes a deal with her that as long as she does whatever he says, lets him pick out her clothes, her activities, her school, her friends, tells her what she is and isn't allowed to eat. Basically, as long as he gets total control of her life, she can stay as long as she wants to. And she also has to cut off all contact with her siblings who are still scattered throughout the southeast, and, and she and still... she had the dream like, well, now I have some money, now I can like buy them back. And yes, having all her siblings under one roof is her stated dream at the beginning of this book. One roof with running water. Yes. Um. So she she accepts this deal, and one other very important thing that happens is that he asks. Tony asks her, like, and and Jillian, like, her life story and what happened to her mother after she ran away from home and ended up meeting Heaven's father. And Heaven, not wanting her mother to look like a tramp, lies and says that she met her father and they fell in love. And after a respectable amount of time, they got married. And a year after that, uh, she was born when really her parents got married the day they met and she was born less than nine months later. So her grandparents... And then the mother died in childbirth. Yes. So her grandparents think she's 16 when she's actually 17. Uh, So what else? So uh, she... One day when her grandparents are out, she's exploring the grounds and she finds a By hedge. By one day, I mean, I think it's literally the day she arrives. Like, they pick her up from the airport and they're like, anyway, we're very busy. Goodbye. 
Yes. I probably, that literally that happened 18 hours ago in book time for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but just, yeah, she um, she's very neglected in this big house, basically. So she, um, she goes um, and finds a hedge maze, and there's a, she thinks, like, I'm very clever, I'll be able to solve this hedge maze, and then she gets sort of lost and scared in the hedge maze. And then on the other side of the hedge maze, she meets... Troy, who lives in a little cottage, like a charming cottage, um, in comparison to, like, the huge, kind of aggressive Farthington Manor. Yes. And she is immediately, like, this very strange, like, she demands to go into his cottage when she, he knocks, she knocks several times and he doesn't open the door, and she can tell there's someone inside, so then she, like, bursts in and demands that he take care of her because she now lives at the house, and he asks several times who she is and to, like, explain what's going on. Like, it it becomes, like, this whole weird thing. It was so weird. This whole book was so weird. But we find out that he's Tony's younger brother, and he's, like, much younger. He's, like, 17 years younger than Tony. And Tony is the uh, head of a collectible toy company. Mm-hmm. And Troy Tatterton is the person. Tatterton Toys. And Troy is the person who creates all the prototypes for the toys. He's very artistically gifted. Well, here's the thing, too. So in the movie, they said he makes the prototypes. And I was like, that makes more sense. But in the book, it seems like literally each toy is one of a kind, and they're these very um, expensive, handmade toys. I think Troy makes, like, a special brand. Like, there's, there's like, the bespoke special Troy-made toys. A Troy and then toy. there's, like, the yeah. Um, and then there's, like, the more mass-produced, um, more mainstream kind of like they're so special, but not as. That's, that's the impression I got. I don't know. I don't know business. Because in the book, he's making these toys where like you know it'll be a carved horse with sapphire eyes, and then that's the literally only sapphire eyes horse. But then he can make a ruby eyes horse or whatever. But each one is one of a kind and very expensive. And there's a lot of talking about how rich people are so rich they don't know what to spend their money on, so they buy these very expensive one-of-a-kind toys just because they don't know what else to spend their money on, basically. Yeah, I think later on when they actually visit the toy company, they kind of explain it a little bit more, and I think it's close to what Ariel was saying about how like, there's certain things that only Troy has made and there's also like the line of dolls that are all specially produced by different artists and there's only one of a kind but then they also make like other high like fancy pants rich person toys but not but they are more mass produced because they talk later on about all the factories that he goes to visit right he can't he's amazing but he can't single-handedly make every toy unless vc andrew wants him to do so in which case, yes, he is a one-man toy factory machine. <laughs> uh, so after meeting Troy, Heaven gets back to the house, and she fibs and does not mention meeting him, and Tony is like, good, don't go to the hedge maze, and don't go, there's a cabin on the other side, never go there, never talk to the person who lives there. Uh, it's my brother Troy, and you can't 
talk to him or see him at all. Um, and she's like, cool, that is definitely a rule that I won't flagrantly break. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tony takes her shopping and buys her like tons of clothes, like rich person clothes and rich person shoes and coats and bags and things. And also takes her to do some testing to see where she'll land in the class at the very fancy girls school winter haven that he has made a large donation to get her into uh outside of normal school times Mm -hmm. and i think it's on one of those trips maybe that she first sees logan like no it's more deceptive than that so she after she has she flat out stalks him yeah right yeah And she knows, because Tony has made very clear, like, I have a billion rules and you have to follow them. And definitely you can't date any boys unless I meet them and approve of them, blah, blah, blah. And, like, definitely you're not allowed to talk to anyone that you used to know. Um, So, but she is at, it's a boarding school, but she goes home for the weekends, basically. She's at the boarding school with her fancy clothes. The girls are mean to her because... Because of a lot of reasons, but Tony is like, I like it when girls dress nicely, and girls nowadays dress like garbage people, and so even though, like, the girls are going to be wearing, like, more, or, like, less formal stuff, you have to wear these fancy dresses all the time. Meh. But she's into it. She loves wearing those fancy dresses. Yes. She agrees with him. He's like, these girls are wearing jeans. It's scandalous. Yeah. yeah, and it's not like, when we say fancy dresses, it's not like she's wearing, like, ball gowns. She's wearing, like, sweater sets and nice skirts and yeah. just, like, very conservative yes. outfits compared to the girls who are wearing, like, t-shirts and jeans. Yes. Uh, um, expensive, though. Like, fancy yes. um, brands. Well, yes. you know, whatever. Expensive, nice clothes. Anyway, so she has been at the boarding school and and not made a lot of friends because of this and other reasons. But then she goes back um, to Farthy for the weekend. Jillian and Tony are away because they're very neglectful grandparents. Um, But she really wants to go and and see her old boyfriend, Logan, because she knows he's at Boston University working on the VC Andrews archives as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) And so Troy... um, Having just breaking all the rules, she has Troy to go take her into Boston to go meet up with Logan. But then, um, but she didn't like call him in advance. She was just like, I know he's at BU. I'll just like walk around BU until I find him. And then she does, but he doesn't recognize her and she's devastated. And Troy consoles her. Yes. Um, and he also says that he will, she tells him her life story and he says that he'll help her find her siblings and get them back together and just we're not a glossed over this but it's like one of the weirdest dumbest things about this book that I love um and by love I mean am flabbergasted by uh the very first day that she's in school one of the reasons all the girls hate her supposedly is the very first day she's in school they're talking about poverty and the mm. teacher asks them to write an essay so she writes an essay about poverty and includes a lot of things that she knows from her personal experience with it. Not in like a first person narrative way, but just mentions a lot of details about like the realities of poverty. And I guess the teacher likes it a lot and gives her a good grade and reads parts of it out loud. And that essay makes all of the girls know that actually she's secretly a poor person and she is not like from the area. Like she had, she had lied to the girls at school and said that, 
she was traveling from her mother's family in Texas, her grandmother's family rather in Texas. Uh, and, but they all immediately know that she is now a hillbilly and that she's super poor. And they could tell just from the way that she wrote that essay. And I think that it implies that people pay a, a lot more attention to what other people write in essays than any human ever actually has and be a level of shrewdness and calculation in these teenage girls that I can't imagine actually would ever exist. But here we are. I also liked um, her takeaway from that was, I wished a thousand times I hadn't been so factual and had turned in some solution like that of another girl who had suggested every rich person should adopt at least one poor child. <laughs> that's, what, that's what she's dealing with. I mean, that is actually what happened to her family. Uh, so uh after the whole thing not not working with logan she's real mad about it and all these girls at school hate her or sad about it rather all these girls at school hate her and they try to sabotage her by ruining all of her clothes and um by unraveling like a lot of her sweaters and soaking one of her wool coats so that it's ruined and Uh, stealing a bunch of her other clothes and she goes to the teachers to complain about this after confronting the girls and they blow her off and the teacher says look things are a certain way here the parents of these girls give a lot of money to this school it's the reason that it's allowed to stay open and if I help you they're all just going to hate you more so probably just deal with it on your own Which we later find out that also Tony had specifically told the school people not to help her in situations like this. But it is pretty ridiculous. So she uh, starts her own plan to get back at them and starts it by begging, by asking in exchange for not, for dealing with this on her own. She wants permission to attend a dance and decides that she's just going to be like the fanciest, most beautiful person there and woo all the boys as part of her campaign to get back at these girls. So she sneaks into all of their rooms, looks at all their fancy dresses to see how fancy a dress to wear, and then asks Troy to bring her fancy dresses back from Farthingale to Winter Haven for her to wear to this dance. She asks him to bring back the one he thinks she would look best in, and then he brings all of them because they all look the same to him. And she's disappointed because she was hoping for, like, a backdoor compliment that way. Or, yes. like Or, like, to trick Troy into thinking about her body or, like, you know, whatever. But he's just like, nah, they're all good. He's just like, uh, choose one. You choose. I don't know. Um, So the girls end up playing a trick on her. She wears a very fancy dress and she doesn't wear the jacket that goes over it. So it's like strapless and sexy. But all of the other girls just dress in like normal clothes, Mm -hmm. even though it's supposed to be a formal in order to fuck with her. So she's like super overdressed and the only overdressed one there. And then they also spike her punch with something to give her terrible diarrhea and then lock all the bathrooms. So she's forced to like retreat to her room where she like, thankfully from living in the sticks, she knows how to make a fake toilet out of plastic bags to improvise a toilet. So she does that. And this part is just so gross. It's so gross and so ridiculous. 
So she takes her like plastic bags full of poop and puts them down the laundry chute, hoping that that will like hide them. I don't know why she doesn't just try to flush it down the toilet now that the doors are unlocked, but whatever. She's thinking 30 steps ahead at this point. She just doesn't know it yet. She doesn't know it yet. Yeah, she doesn't know what's about to happen, which is that the girls confront her after she's taken a shower to try and see if she's been ruffled by this prank. And she's she plays it cool. And they say, okay, well, like, that was, like, the second to last part of your hazing. If you do one more thing, you're part of, like, the club. And she's like, I don't want to be a part of the club. And they're like, you need to go down the laundry chute and then find your way out without any of the staff seeing you. And knowing that she has just put this bag of poop down the laundry chutes, she convinces the bitchiest girl to do it first to prove that it's doable and it's not just a cruel trick. So she goes down the laundry chute and lands in the pile of poop. And instead of... Yeah. And every other girl that she's so dramatic. Yes. So she takes a long time to get back. And when she does, she has suspiciously showered since being down there. But heaven doesn't give her away. She just says, oh, I actually don't want to join your club after all and leaves. And it's just dumb. But then they respect her afterwards. Yeah. Uh, So she does. She meets up with Logan again, trying to speed through this. God, (laughs) so much happens and we have so little time to discuss it. (laughs) Um, So she she ends up meeting up with Logan for real. And he um, tells her that, like, she's not the girl he used to know and, like, yells at her again for sleeping with Cal Dennison, even though she was a literal child and he raped her. But fucking whatever. But. We forgot to give a content warning, but also I feel like just the name VC Andrews should be should be a content warning. <laughs> yes. Like anyway. All everything that we discuss in here too is past tense. Yes. So she she starts hanging out with Troy more and kind of like flirting with him and he is like a respite in kind of the chaos of everything going on in her life. And she still needs to sneak around to do it because Tony still doesn't want her spending time with him. She goes through like Thanksgiving and Christmas and at Thanksgiving, like she officially meets Tony for the first time when he's invited to attend the holiday and acts like they, they haven't been spending all this time together. Officially meets Troy. Troy, Troy, yes. She also meets her maternal great-grandmother, who actually seems to like her, unlike Jillian, and invites her to come and stay in Texas. And, I don't know, like, zooms through the rest of the of the school year. Yeah, just, um, there's a holidays, um... All the holidays happen. And, I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on, like, how lonely it is in the house and how they have this big house. But Tony and Jillian are just, like, too too fancy to, like, care about normal things. And Tony cares slightly more in a very controlling way. Whereas Jillian just seems to have completely checked out and is mostly mad that having... Uh, having heaven around even heaven she makes heaven say that um, Jillian is her aunt and not her grandmother but even that is like too close to people being able to find out her real age 
so eventually, like, school keeps happening, and uh, Heaven graduates, like, near the top of her class, and she's very upset because Tony schedules a business trip for that same week, so he and Jillian won't be there for her. And she complains about it to Troy, but he doesn't say anything, so she thinks no one is going to show up for her graduation. But then Troy does show up, and he brings all of these strangers who work at Tatterton Toys to pretend to be her family. <laughs> and he gets them, like, all nice clothes, just so that um, anyone, you know, her classmates think, wow, her family's actually not trash. Right. Yeah, it's it's real weird. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, he brings the servants from the house. That makes a bit more sense. It does make more sense because the servants know her and kind of like yes, her. It does it does make more sense than like strangers. Yeah. <laughs> um, there like, were a I, lot of things that the movie just like cleaned up or or left out. Yes, um, that was exactly what I was gonna say is that the movie took a lot of these things and was like, what if we tweak them slightly so that they're actually logical? Mm-hmm. I think the best way would be if he went to a local community theater and hired a bunch of actors. <laughs> yes, I would love it. Uh, so after her graduation, because Tony and Jillian are away in Europe on this trip, Heaven and spend... Troy can like be openly together because the servants don't care and like no one's around to catch them. And Troy keeps pulling away from her every time she tries to cozy up to him and eventually explains that it's because he is just so sad forever. He just... Not forever, just when it's it's fall and winter and then also in summer because in summer all he can think about is how it's almost fall. (laughs) And he just has a terminal case of seasonal affective disorder. And I'm laughing, but I, I mean, with the knowledge that I'm sure by this point that all of our listeners know that I have depression and anxiety and seasonal affective disorder, and I'm medicated for all of those things. But the way that he describes it is very dumb. He's like um, that list from the toast of like ways Victorian women die in novels. Like <laughs> yes. someone spoke too loudly or like a window was left open. He has a very fragile constitution but in a in a very over the top way. Yes, it's ridiculous like the way and it's perhaps the one thing that the movie did do much worse is that in the movie this is one scene where he's like I'm so sad all the time. It's just like the sadness won't leave me alone and it hovers over me and it's just this winter that will never leave me and she goes, "Well, what if you just were happy?" Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not an exact quote, but essentially she is one of those lists that you find on the internet of like how to deal with depression that are like exercise more. And she's Have just you like, tried eating 5,000 oranges? <laughs> but what if you were happy instead? And he's like, oh my God, you're right. She's like, have you read this book, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne? <laughs> <laughs> um, she, he also tells her that when um that he was very sickly as a child his parents died when he was very young and tony was basically the closest thing he had to a parent and when he married jillian it was with the understanding that perhaps jillian would be the mother that troy needed uh but jillian didn't give two shits however lee heaven's mother she like took an interest in him and engaged with him and like was like the big sister he always needed 
and he was very close to her and he was devastated. He was, I think he was in the hospital because he was sick when she ran away and he was devastated that like she was gone now. But also like he, this was between his ages of three and five. Like how much can he actually remember? Like how formative could that have possibly been? She was gone by the time he was five. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I know, I know folks who've lost parents and siblings and things when they were that young, and it, it does leave a mark, probably somewhat exaggerated for this novel where his terminal sadness hovers over him like a dark angel, but it is just very, it, the, the most suspect thing about it to me is that everyone says that heaven looks just like her mother, like a little clone, except that her hair is darker. Mm-hmm. So it makes this whole romance kind of weird even weirder than it is going to get yeah um also so she well people think she's 16 but she's actually 17 and troy i think is 23 and so he is kind of like oh it's a big age difference and like yes but but heaven is like no because really i'm 17 i'm almost 18 so it's like fine and it you know. And she, it's also, like, women, girls in the willies have kids by the time they're three, yeah. or, like, whatever. Like, yeah, that's a big point that she keeps bringing up. Yeah, that if she were if she were still single at 18, back where she used to live, like, she'd be an old maid. Um, so they, while they're alone, um, Troy is like, let's get married. And then Tony and Jillian come back, and together, the two of them go to Tony and say like, Hey, we're going to get married. We know that you did not uh, want this, but like, this is what we have decided and you can't stop it. And then Tony reveals that this was actually his secret plan all along (laughs) that he purposely told them not to see each other because he wanted them to fall in love because he thought that Troy really needed someone to bring him out of his depression and that heaven would be able to do that. So by telling them they couldn't see each other, he would actually make them see each other with more fervor because forbidden fruit. And he's actually very happy that they're getting married. Yes. It's weird. It's deeply weird. Um, by the way, the book is divided into part one and part two. Um, part one ends with uh, Troy and Heaven like kissing and deciding they want to get married. And part two starts with, um, well, it's, it starts actually with Troy going into more detail about his terminal sad, and then they and then they tell Tony they want to get married and they have all this. But then, they, no joke, Troy leaves the windows open in his fucking cottage and gets pneumonia. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He leaves all the windows open and then gets like deathly pneumonia, like yes. needs to be taken to the hospital immediately pneumonia. Yes. And, and the longtime listeners of the podcast will recall a couple years ago, I had a bad case of pneumonia. We had to like put the podcast on hiatus because, because pneumonia sucks. And so like sympathy for Troy, but also I, I didn't get it because the windows were open. (laughs) I'm trying to, I guess my terrible case of pneumonia was before the podcast. Yes. Ancient history. Yes. But I also had a terrible case of pneumonia. I don't even know where I got it because it came on so suddenly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It came on like over the course of an Ikea trip. (laughs) 
yeah. I was fine in the morning. And then by the time we were leaving Ikea, I was like hallucinating. You know what? Maybe the windows were open at Ikea. Maybe it was that. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so Troy has pneumonia, and but he surprises her by telling her that he had tracked down her siblings and he really, they, before he gets pneumonia, they had made plans to go visit all her siblings before the wedding. But now that he has pneumonia, um, once he's stable, he wants her to go anyway. And Tony's really mad about it because he thinks that she's abandoning him, just like all the other women in his life have abandoned him. But she's like, no, he really wants me to go. So she goes anyway, even though he's still in the hospital. Um, but and, I mean, this was a bit of a twist because I fully was expecting Troy to wither away and die without her. Yes. <laughs> uh, so first she goes to visit her younger siblings with their adopted pa- parents in Baltimore. And they are Keith and Jane, who she refers to exclusively as our Jane and was changed for some reason to Jamie in the movie. Um, oh, I didn't notice that. Weird. But they um, they actually had a happy adoption, and they were so little that they have completely acclimated to their adoptive parents who treat them very well, and they love them, and they call them mommy and daddy, and she spies on them with the mothers. At first, with the mothers, uh, the mother agrees to let her, like, spy on them at church so she can see how happy they are and will leave them alone. But then she continues to spy on them back at their house and accidentally attracts their attention and they she freak gets too out. She close to the window and the dog barks. Yes. She and hires they... a car to follow their car and then sneaks into their yard and goes in through an unlocked door once they spot her. She didn't think that out. Nah, nah. Yeah, so she she tries to talk to them because at first she thinks, oh, they didn't see that it was me and they're just startled by a stranger. But once she explains who she is, they freak out even more and like start screaming and crying and tell her to go away. So she's like heartbroken, but she leaves. Um, Then she goes to visit Tom, who is still with their father. And she meets her, her father's new wife and the new wife's new baby. And she's really mad because the house that they're in, like, is much nicer than the one she grew up in. The new wife, like, adores her father and, like, says that he treats her so well and he's such a good father. And when she hunts down her brother Tom, it turns out that her father is working for a circus slash sideshow. Which apparently was his lifelong dream, which never came up until that point. Not even in the first one. And it totally just comes out of left field. There's nothing in this character to indicate that he would ever desire to work for a circus. And Tom works with him, too, and insists that he's very happy now. He's given up his dreams of going to college because that was always her dream, not his dream. He's very happy at the circus, their father... And for for what we can see, like, their father has pulled his shit together and is a much more functional adult and parent now than he ever was when they were younger and he was selling them to people for $500 a piece. Um, but she's still real mad about it. 
she tries to give Tom money, but he won't take it. Um, then she goes to visit her sister Fanny, who was knocked up by the minister that her father sold her to. And uh, she sold the minister, her baby, for $10,000. And now she's living in Nashville trying to make it as a star at the Grand Old Opry, but she doesn't actually have any talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so she asks uh, fucking heaven to go back to the the preacher and get her baby back for her, mostly because she seems bored and seems like maybe she like being a mom would be would be okay yeah. now. Bored and then also, I mean, just very jealous of heaven. And, like, yes. wanting to get as much, like, money out of Heaven as possible. Yeah, because Heaven offers, if she if she takes, gets the baby back, she offers to, like, help support the baby, which was something she did. There was one moment when Fanny called her earlier in the narrative where she was like, Fanny, like, don't sell them your baby. Keep your baby and I'll help support you and your baby. And Fanny was like, uh, no thanks. And Fanny, like, didn't then didn't leave a forwarding address or whatever. So for a while she yeah. couldn't get back couldn't to her. find her yeah um so logan she meets logan who meets up with logan and he takes her to see her grandfather and a terrible rainstorm falls through and she gets like a, a mystery flu and all of the roads wash out she, so she's stuck there for several days and logan is taking care of her um she stops by the minister to try to buy the baby back and the minister kind of convinces her that, like, Fanny would be a real shit mom and the baby is very happy and well-loved here. And, like, come on now. And she's like, oh, you're you're kind of right. This was a bad idea. Although the minister uh, still is a dirtbag, though. Oh, yeah. He's totally a jerk uh, and totally an asshole about the whole thing. But he does raise a good point that Fanny would not be a good mother. Nah, nah. Fanny would be worse. Yes. Yes. Um, also with the rain, the phones have been out, so she hasn't been able to get a hold of Troy, and she's sort of, like, lost track of time in her feverish delirium. So this is where I feel like it was like, oh, Troy, like, withered away and died while she couldn't call him, and whatever. But instead, something else happens. Yes. Uh, when she gets back to Boston... Tony is like, don't go, like, first he yells at her for abandoning Troy, and when she tries to explain what happens, he's like, go get changed, then come and see me, don't go to see Troy yet, you need to see me first. So she explains everything that happens, and then Tony is like, you can't marry Troy. And she's like, "Uh, you can't tell us what to do. Like, sorry, we're in love, we're gonna get married. And he's like, I'm telling you, there's a really good reason that you can't marry Troy, and... You just have to, like, go call off the engagement. And she just keeps being like, no, why would I ever do that? And then he tells her that he essentially, like, raped her mother while she was living there. Uh, He tries to turn it into this, like, oh, like, she seduced me. And she was always flirting with me. And, you know, she wanted it and but then contradicts it by saying like and then every night when I would go in there and rape her she would scream and cry but then eventually she'd stop so it was fine yeah it's upsetting it's very terrible and she's like that's awful why would you tell me that first of all second of all like that doesn't stop me from wanting to marry Troy and he goes well I found out how old you are and that you lied to me 
And it turns out, if you do the math, I'm probably your father. Yep. And also, he asks a lot of questions about her hair. Because the hair is, like, the definitive evidence. He's like, your hair, is it straight when you grow it out? And she's like, yeah. And then he's like, you're my kid then. Yeah. (laughs) That's science. Yes. Um, So she... Goes to visit Troy, but does not break up with him. She comforts him and is like, oh, like, I'm so sorry that I left. It was an accident. Like, I love you. I'm never leaving you again. Um, And he's like, oh, good. Like, because I was going to die of sadness without you. And then she, even though they have, like, reconciled he leaves the windows open again that night and when she comes the next morning he's like near death uh-huh but then he he wakes up enough to rip all of her clothes off and have sex with her uh-huh. and then she finds out that the reason is because her uh, grandmother jillian had snuck in during the night and told him that all this whole story and now he knows like because Tony had been very clear, like, you cannot tell him this. It will ruin him. And she's like, okay, like, I wouldn't do that anyway. But Jillian tells him, and it does ruin him. And he was trying to commit suicide by open window. Mm -hmm. And when that didn't work, he runs away. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's kind of like, well, whatever, and goes to college. And and here we get, like, a ludicrous time jump. Yes. Like, the next chapter, she goes to college, graduates from college, goes on several trips with Tony, um, visits her family. Like, a million things happen. And it just And we don't really get any update on Troy. Like, we haven't really heard from Troy. And then, after she graduates, she she sees Tony, and he's like, oh, by the way, um, Troy drowned in a horse accident. Yes, and she's very upset, and and she's decide- like, I, d- I never want to see you again. By the way, somewhere in here, Jillian has like lost her mind, and just become like, you know, rich person institutionalized, where she just has to have a nurse all the time because she has become unhinged from reality, even more so than she used to be. Yeah. So that's all happening, and Heaven's like you know what, I'm out, fuck y'all, I'm going back to the willies to, like, be with my family. And so she bleaches her hair because she's always has, like, just like her mom, except her mom was blonde, and so now she looks blonde, and she picks up her grandpa, who also is delusional and just thinks that their grandma is still alive and talks to her all the time, um, but sort of, like, pleasantly delusional, unlike Jillian. So yes. she, she picks up grandpa and ghost grandma and takes them to the circus, which is where her father and her brother Tom are still working. And I guess she has in her head, like, I'll, I'll show them. I'm sort of not clear what her actual plan here was, other than just the drama. But what happens is her dad is supposed to be the guard, question mark, but he gets distracted when he sees her. And so when the lion tamer is, is having problems with the lions... Her dad doesn't notice because he's like, oh, shit, my ghost wife is here. So (laughs) then the lion tamer is getting attacked by lions and Tom has to come in. Her brother Tom has to come in and be like, oh, no, don't. But he he so he's trying to help the lion tamer, but he gets mauled to death by lions um, on all because of heaven's distracting look. 
And then so it ends with her dad also was hurt by the lions, but he recovered. Tom is dead. And the last line is heaven is like, I realize, you know, uh, after all, I was meant to be with Logan as my as my husband. The end. And I know there's more books after that, but like, what? (laughs) I mean, all the other candidates are out. Yeah, exactly. Her brother, Troy. Who else can she wind up with if not her brother (laughs) or Troy? Unknown. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. A lot happens, but nothing happens. It's it's one of those. Yeah. Both of them simultaneously somehow. Yeah. It's just like one thing after another. And it it just, it dragged so much. I don't know. Like with all of, I don't know. Yeah. And like I've talked before, like, and you know, again, obviously a lot of people really do love these books. They're doing something for them. Like for me personally, I can get down with a book that's going into a lot of detail about um, like well, we're baking bread, and let me tell you about the bread, or, like, certain details, like, sometimes it is just pleasing to get into a lot of depth about something. But the things that VC always wants to, like, hone in on and, like, really dig into are never the things that I want to know more about, personally. But again, obviously a lot of other people are like, yeah, give me more about this. Um, and it's it's weird, too, because, like, one of the things she talks about a lot is, like, all of, like, the architecture and the things that are in the house and the setup of the house. And we've talked before about how that is also something that a perpetual podcast favorite Nora Roberts is very into. Yes. And when Nora does it, I'm like, yes, tell me more about the skylight. Tell me more about the wainscoting. But here it just, it feels different. I don't know. I'm usually the opposite. I usually hate, like, tedious details in books. But with V.C. Andrews, uh, I don't know. It works for me. Different strokes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, like, again, I know a lot of people like these, and I still just... It just feels like I'm drowning in in the details that I did not want. Well, let's... Let's move on to our dramatic readings and just give all you listeners a, a just real direct dose of, of these details. So our first dramatic reading is from near the beginning when Heaven is just getting settled in at Farthy um, with Jillian, her grandma. And um, I will be Heaven and Kate will be Jillian. And... Eh. <laughs> Jillian was beginning to need me, to want me, to like me. This was the very first time I'd eaten any meal with Jillian but dinner served in the dining room. Here was one of the richest women in the world, and surely one of the most beautiful, and she lunched on tiny cucumber or watercress sandwiches and sipped champagne. But it's not a healthy, nutritious lunch, or even filling, Jillian, I exclaimed after our third lunch together. Quite honestly, even after I ate six of your tiny sandwiches, I'm still hungry and I don't really care for champagne. Her delicate eyebrows rose as if in exasperation. What kind of food do you and Tony eat when you lunch together? Oh, he lets me have anything on the menu. In fact, he encourages me to try foods I've never tasted before. He indulges you, just like he indulged Lee. She sat for long moments with her head bowed over her dainty meal, and then waved her hand as if in dismissal. 
If there is one thing that really disgusts me, it's to see a young girl eat with a ravenous appetite. And do you realize, Heaven, that's the only way you know how to eat? Until you can control your need for so much food, I think it best that you and I never eat lunch together again. And when we are in the dining room, I will make an effort to pay as little attention as possible to your dining habits. Jillian was as good as her word. She never asked me to play bridge with her again. We never shared another luncheon, and when we were seated in their elegant dining room with Tony, she addressed all her remarks to him. And out of if, out of pure necessity, she had to say something to me, she didn't turn her head my way. Because I wanted so much to please her, I tried to turn down second and third helpings, and I even made my first servings very small. Now I was hungry all the time, so I took to stealing to the huge kitchen, where Reese Williams, the stout black chef, welcomed me into his domain. Yeah. And, and it is, again, the kind of thing where it's like, well, this could be a kind of interesting commentary on, like, aging and, and eating disorders and, you know, the, the patriarchy, but then it just doesn't really go anywhere exactly. Yeah. Because I think there is thing interesting about Jillian, this woman who's, like, so obsessed with the idea of youth and, you know, trying to be this sort of ideal, like, young, beautiful um, woman, woman who, like, doesn't have these desires for food. But then, again, like, she doesn't, doesn't really go anywhere, really. Yeah, Jillian is... Under like a lot of things about Jillian would be very interesting if they were at all developed more and not just like weird anecdotes from other people. All right, well that's that. Um, and now Ariel's going to read um, something from boarding school times. So this is the scene at the dance where the uh, laxatives are starting to hit and the boys keep grabbing her and trying to uh, get her to stay on the dance floor until um, she poops, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Even as I broke away from one boy, another seized me and began his grinding motions. But this was hands-off music and I turned to run. Suddenly the music stopped. A new record was put on. A slow waltz, the cheek-to-cheek kind, the kind I needed least of all at this particular moment. And yet someone had me, trying to hold me too close. And the pains, the horrible pains were coming faster, closer together. Violently, I shoved him away and took off on the run. I thought I heard laughter behind me, vicious, spiteful laughter. The first floor lavatory had been assigned to our guests, so it was the stairs I raced towards, running as fast as I could for the bathroom. The door was locked. Oh, my God. I raced for another in a distant wing, feeling panic that it was so far away. I never make it in time. And when I reached there, it, too, was locked. I was sobbing by this time, unable to understand what was happening to me, but happening it was. Back to the rooms, I sped, doubled over and groaning, gasping, my breath coming hard and fast. When I reached there, I slammed and locked the door behind me. There was no commode in my room, but I hadn't lived 14 years in the willies and dreaded going to that distant outhouse without learning how to improvise. And when it was over, I still sat on, feeling any second another attack would begin. For a solid hour, my bowels rampaged until I was quivering and weak and a film of moisture clung to my skin. And by this time, the dance downstairs had ended and the girls were returning to their rooms, 
laughing, whispering, quite excited about something. That's just yeah. right. That's just okay. Yeah, just fine. <laughs> um. So the last one is about Troy's terminal sad. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be Troy. Yes, and I will be heaven. Winter nights for me are too long, giving time for too many dreams to be born. I try and hold back sleep until just before dawn. Sometimes I succeed. If I don't, I grow so restless I have to get up and dress. Then I walk outside and let the fresh cold air wash my dreary thoughts away. I walk the trails between the pines, and when my brain is cleared, only then do I come back here. And in work, I can forget the coming night and the nightmares that haunt me. I could only stare at him. No wonder you kept shadows beneath your eyes last winter, I said, distressed that he could now be so melancholy. He had me now. I used to think that you were an alco- uh, <laughs> I used to think you were a workaholic. Troy rolled on his side, facing the fire, reaching a long arm for a bottle of champagne he'd put in a silver bucket to chill. He poured the bubbling vintage into two crystal goblets. The last bottle of the best of the wine. He said, turning toward me and lifting his glass so it brushed lightly against mine. I had grown used to champagne during the past winter, since it appeared so often on Jillian's party tables, but I was still child enough to feel giddy after one glass. Uneasily, I sipped my champagne, wondering why his eyes kept avoiding mine. What do you mean, the last of the wine? You've got a wine cellar beneath this house with enough champagne for the next half century. So literal. I spoke poetically trying to tell you that winter and cold bring out the morbid side I try to hide most of the time. I care too much about you to let you become too entangled in our relationship without understanding just who and what I am. I know who and what you are. No, you don't. You know only what I've permitted you to see. Listen, Heaven, I'm trying to warn you while you can still pull away. My lips parted to speak and object, but he reached to hush me with his fingers put over my lips. Why do you think Tony ordered you to stay away from me? I find it very difficult to hang on to the cheerful, optimistic side of me that blossoms only when the days grow long and the warmth returns. We can always move south, I cried, hating his seriousness, the shadowed look in his eyes. I've tried that. I've spent winters in Florida, in Naples, Italy, all over the world I've traveled trying to find what others find so easily, but I take my winter thoughts with me. Those winter thoughts. Mm. R.I.P. Troy. (laughs) Alright, how about some Would You Rather? Sounds good. Would you rather read another book in this series, or watch another Lifetime movie in this series? Uh, I think I have a pretty standard answer to these questions, and that is that the movie was, like, 90 minutes long, and the book was, like, 18 hours long. So I would rather watch another movie in this series, especially because Jason Priestley just, like, fucking chews the shit out of the scenery in the fucking one that we watched. He is just... 
Yeah. Agreed. I I think I might watch another one of these movies just for fun. Like, um, <laughs> the movies, I think, for me, hit a much more appealing level of camp than the book. Yeah, I would agree with that. I do think that it's interesting, and I thought this, too, when looking at book covers of this book in various markets, that they cast someone with red hair, given that her hair color is so integral to the plot. Oh, the fans had something to say about that, as you can imagine. Yes, please speak for the fans, because I know you said you did not like this movie. Well, I, I didn't like the movie, but I'm not like... Okay, so I'm a V.C. Andrews apologist, but, like, you should see her actual fan base. <laughs> where I'm like... Where I'm like... Uh, I read her books, and I, I, I defend her, but I defend her because it's fun to defend her. Uh, it's like the Cats musical, where it's like... I... I I get it, and I get why people hate it, and I also get why people like it, but this hardcore VC Andrews fandom is like any hardcore fandom, where it's like, you you don't want to speak for them. You also don't want to speak to them. They they get, as you can imagine, a, a little bit intense um, about these incest books, and so, and I mean, any book fan always has an uproar, even if the hair color is insignificant. They change the hair color, like, God forbid. Um, but yeah, it was a stupid, uh, you know, kind of um, oversight, but it's not like, that's the thing I never get about the hair car- color uproar for anything. You just change the direction of the significance. Like... You know, yeah, I mean, she's um, still not blonde. Yeah. Yeah, and you could still say, oh, like, with Harry Potter's eyes, you could just say, oh, you uh, you look like your dad, but with your mother's eyes, it doesn't matter if the eyes are specifically green. And, uh, yeah, so she was a redhead. I thought that the actress was pretty good. Um, she didn't look like Kevin, but, like, the books weren't the books. Um my answer for this is, of course, I would read the other books. Like I've read them, uh, but Check. but but um, I I only read the authentic VC Andrews VC Andrews novels. I don't have time to waste with that like money making factory hack dude bro who took over the books. It's like the difference between a Troy toy and a mass produced Tatterton toy. <laughs> No, no, it's like the difference between like a Troy toy and like a a amusement park 50 cent prize where Mm. the stuffing's already coming out. Come on. Stone's thrown. The thing that was interesting to me about the hair is less like that she didn't look like the way she was described in the book, but more that her hair, if they had made her hair perhaps the same color as the Tattertons. Yeah. (laughs) Considering that, like, you have the same hair as me is this, like, defining... It was just very funny to me, especially because we live in a world where wigs exist. We do live in that world. I mean, we got The timeline is more compelling than we both have dark hair. Like, oh, I raped your mother uh, nine months before you were born. Um, 
yeah, you, you might be my child. It's more, you know, like, oh, we both have dark hair. Yeah, that confirms it. <sighs> oh, boy. How about, would you rather fall down a poop chute or live in the willies without a working toilet? I hate this question. I hate it too. I hate it. <laughs> I spared you I a gerbil death. I spared you a gruesome gerbil death in the first book. I do appreciate that. Um, I mean, here's my question. I mean, here's my answer. I mean, rather is uh, I I was in the Peace Corps for two years. Like I went without running water for a long time, and you know when you are living in a country that has unclean water, like. I had definitely had a lot of issues. Like, I have lived that life. But falling down the poop shit is, like, next level disgusting. And I hate talking about it. And I hate thinking about it. And I I would be fine without running water. But I would hate it. But it would be okay. I'll do that. It's fine. Yeah, my answer is more or less the same. Like, yeah. But I, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I think long term because like you know the poop shoot will stay with you for life but you get to wash it off living in the willies without working water is like a day-to-day like you got to do it every day yeah no am i wrong i i don't have a sense of smell so i i don't I think that might impact my answer, but um, I don't know. I'm really lazy, and I've never been without an amenity in my entire life, so I don't know. I, 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 look, I like V.C. Andrews novels. I, I'm not the arbiter of appropriateness. <laughs> All right, so you're saying you're going down the poop chute. I, I would go down the poop chute. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't have to go down the poop chute every day. It's a one-time thing. It's oh, God. You're right. You're right. And let's never talk about it again. Would you rather eat sandwiches and cake with Troy? By the way, I forgot to mention a lot of detail is given to the sandwiches that Troy crafts. He bakes his own bread. He makes really good sandwiches, apparently. I was going to bake bread today, and I forgot. There's still time. Um, I guess. Or would you rather go to Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that serves only Steaks and Cakes? I would, of course, rather go to Steaks and Cakes. (gasps) While I'm sure that Troy is a fine sandwich maker, uh, I don't think anything could really surpass our brilliant wonderful sponsor steaks and cakes with their full platters of steaks and whole cakes brought directly to me yes um i will say choice sandwiches sound really good I would rather eat a sandwich than a steak, obviously, because I'm vegetarian. But I don't care to spend time with Troy because I'm concerned that his sadness would be contagious. <laughs> so I'm just going to go eat a cake. Excellent. I'll meet you for the second half of the meal. Steaks <laughs> and cakes. Sweet. <laughs> I would eat sandwiches and cake with Troy because I don't like steaks. Uh, the cakes sounded really good. The sandwiches sounded really good. And I just love an emo boy who gives himself pneumonia by leaving the windows open and makes toys. Like, I'm sorry, but of every VC Andrews, and there's not a lot of competition, but of every VC Andrews love interest, he is so far and away 
the best creation. Like, I didn't even know she was capable of making a man who wasn't uh, just absolutely terrible every way. And um, I really like cold cabins. So I would totally go into a cold cabin and eat some cake and sandwiches with the sad boy. All right. Well, I dream. All right. Well, great. <laughs> I can't get over this. Uh, I can't, but I will. Let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some things to read instead of or in addition to Dark Angel. Um, I have a couple things I want to say right away. First of all, I feel like the name Troy has been ruined for me by two things, one of which is High School Musical, where, of course, Troy is Zac Efron's character, and then the other is the podcast Comedy Bang Bang, where Jessica McKenna had this recurring character she played, who is a high school boy named Troy, who is running for high school, or running for school president, and his catchphrase was, it's your boy Troy, and I just heard that really clearly in my head now every time I read the name Troy, but I did enjoy that podcast, and of course, High School Musical, much more than I enjoy this. So if you're just looking for some other Troys, that's what I've got for you. And then you too. What about another Tony? What about a what? What about Tony's? Well, I mean, yeah, sure. Then then you've got Tony Stark, I guess, is the ideal. Um, or the Tony Awards. You can watch the Tony Awards. Yes. Um, Except for that one year that we won't name. <laughs> Um, I thought Josh Groban and Sour Borellas were fine. That's, Kate has a long-standing beef against... We, we don't have time to get into it, Kate. We don't Take have it to time the to get into it. Uh, the yeah, other I, thing, I was my child, though. The other I knew thing, that was a Kevin Spacey joke, right? No. Wait, no. Wait, what? It's a, it's a, never mind. We'll get to it after we finish recording. Um, okay. We, seriously, we don't have time. Um, Riverdale. <laughs> Please watch Riverdale so we can talk to everyone about Riverdale. I feel like Riverdale, to me, is is the over-the-top drama and the sort of, like, I feel like it's this, it's all of the sort of, like, juiciness and campiness and um, ludicrous plot twists, but more self-aware and shorter, because it's, like, 45 minutes each week, just in and out, just Riverdale. And also, I really like the Riverdale tie-in novels as well, like, sincerely. Jesus Christ, there are tie-in novels. Of course there are! And it's, you know, and it's this show that's, like, based on comics, and then there, there's tie-in novels. And also the tie-in comics, but the comics aren't as good. Don't at me. Um, I would recommend uh, The Disrepu- Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks by uh, E. Lockhart for uh, more palatable boarding school hazing. Also, there's a season five episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit, which I believe is called Families, wherein two teens find out that they are actually half siblings because their father was leading a secret life. And I just, whenever I I think of it, I just think of like the very good, but kind of hilarious scene where the boy finds out and says, I had sex with my sister while breaking down into tears. And it's pretty funny. <laughs> and then my, my other recommendation was uh, One of Us is Lying by Karen McManus, which I can't remember why I thought that would be a recommendation, but it is a good book and it is better than this book. So I mean, it has it. like it has those kind of twists and like reveals, like layers on layers of like, ooh, true. No, no incest though. No. 
right, Ariel, our true expert, please, please tell us. So I would recommend any of the authentic Lisi Andrews novels, and that's uh, My Sweet Audrina, Heaven, Dark Angel, Flowers in the Attic, Petals in the Wind, uh, If There Be Thorns, and then I think it gets murky um, about the authorship after that. Um, but she, there are thousands of V.C. Andrews novels. They are not the real deal. Do not be fooled. Buyer beware. <laughs> Make sure you are sourcing your V.C. Andrews novels from reputable sources because they are not all the real thing. I'd recommend Lurleen McDaniel because she also, like, just writes people however the fuck she wants people to behave. And there's a lot of just, like, sadness porn, I guess, where it's just, like, very overwrought, ridiculous reactions to tragedies that are, like, a high school's idea, high schooler's idea of how to, like, handle sickness and stuff you're not going to find anything worthwhile in it other than like entertainment. And then the secret history, which is my all time favorite book because I do read actual, uh, things that I genuinely like instead of these ridiculous messes. Um, Donna Tart has a great gap grasp of scenery and aesthetic and, um, uh, it also covers like class divide and someone, you know, being in a world that they're not used to and having to act like they belong. Uh, mostly I'm recommending this because I think it would upset a lot of Donna Tart fans to be put <laughs> in the same sentence as VC Andrews. But I like both of those authors. I think they're both great in their own special ways. And I just really fucking love The Secret History. All right. Excellent. All right. Um, We'll have all of these and some other ones we didn't uh, get around to talking about up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now let's do our candy pairing. Mine is spiked punch that gives you diarrhea. Mm. Uh, When you said spiked diarrhea punch, I thought the punch was spiked with diarrhea. No, that's... Oh, God, no. Oh, no, no, no. Um, so mine is a single circus peanut because it's just, it's not good. And also it captures some of the weird circus elements in the end of the book. My candy pairing is pure blackstrap molasses straight from the hills. I don't actually know if blackstrap molasses comes from the hills, but it's, um, you know, just Paul comes in one day with a cup of molasses and just pours it into your hands and you lick it up because it's disgusting and not for everyone and I've never actually done that blackstrap molasses thing. I don't think I've ever eaten molasses. But when I think of uh, Dark Angel, I think of just blackstrap molasses being the only treat you've ever known. Fair. <laughs> All right. Now it is time for the Rock, Paper, Snick, the game where Kate says who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Ariel can choose which, which most enhances this book that was... Already good question mark in some opinions, or you can use paper, which is to uh, leave it as is. All right, 
Um, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be one of the servants at Farthingale Manor, and his sole servant job would be closing the windows in Troy's cabin at night, and thus would keep him from getting sick from a slightly cool nighttime breeze. And he'd be able to visit Heaven's family with her and avoid the convoluted age math familial twist or whatever that happens that gets Tony onto her scent as his daughter. Um, so the book would still end in vague incest, but it's V.C. Andrews, so that's kind of par for the course. And uh, it would also chop like half of the book off. Mm. If Wolverine were in this book, uh, he would just be Logan, her old boyfriend, and uh, Logan would just drink a lot of moonshine and never actually make it up to BU, so um, he would cut out that part of, of stalking and tragedy in the middle of the book, but he would be there at the circus and would use his, his um, Wolverine animal whisperer skills to save Tom and the lion tamer from those rogue lions, but... I don't think he would save Pa, though, and he would still get eaten by the lions, because fuck that guy. I think this book is perfect the way it is. (laughs) I thought that's what it might come down to. (laughs) Well, well played, everyone. Uh, What do we think the moral of the story is? Uh, My moral of the story is just take the money and run. Um... Uh, what's her name? Heaven asked a lot of questions and did a lot of things behind Tony's back. And he was definitely overbearing, but literally all she had to do was live with him for a year and then she could be a millionaire. So yes. Uh, my, my moral is often to ban men. And here I just have the addendum ban men parentheses to the far side of hedge mazes. Um, Go ahead. Oh, my moral is never go to school dances because nothing good ever happens at school dances. Mm, valid. All right, now it is time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte shares his opinions about the books. <coughs> All right, um, Duarte, I, th- I think you're right. I think those lions could have used some more um, page time. I think maybe then it wouldn't have been such a like out of nowhere twist at the end. And also, you're right, it is just it is just more fun to read about lions than, um, you know, than a lot of the other things that we did have to read about. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know why Heaven didn't use some of her newfound wealth to get a cat so that she would be less lonely at Farthingale Manor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably that would have helped out a lot so that she wouldn't just be, like, sad all the time that her grandparents were gone. You know, and Troy could have used a a cat to keep him warm at night. Yes. Well, thanks for those ideas, Dorte. Maybe maybe VC Andrews Ghostwriter can learn from them. <laughs> if nothing else. All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend heaven. Because maybe it's, uh, maybe you didn't get the context in the background. That's why you so viscerally hated this book. Maybe. Maybe you just didn't get it. <laughs> maybe, maybe we just didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly possible. Anything is possible. Um, boy. Um, yeah, my, my closing thought is just. You know, more power to all the all the people who are 
getting something out of these V.C. Andrews books. I think we might, I think this might, um, close the door on our attempts to understand V.C. Andrews, though. I feel like I've given it such a college try. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. There's so many other bad books out there that we need to tackle. I'm ready to let this one die. It's, if that is the case, and it's my honor and privilege (laughs) to have been the one to nail that coffin shut. (laughs) Yes, yes. And and thank you for your expertise and, you know, for for behind the scenes trying to get us up to speed on heaven, which we did not read. And. uh, (laughs) And never, ever will. Never will. Yeah. Heaven is just out of reach. Mm -hmm. Far from heaven is where we are. But thank you for suffering through that. Yes. Um, what we do you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) all right um if you want to come and you know if you're a vc andrews enthusiast you want to come try one more time to explain to us why um why we should like these you can like us on facebook or facebook.com slash worst bestsellers we're also on twitter at worst bestseller with no s the s did fall down the laundry chute and it could not be cleaned um so we just had to get rid of it uh, we also have a Goodreads group that is best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the podcast places you know and love. Uh, if you do subscribe to us, please try to take a moment to rate and review. If you rate and review, it pushes us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. If you don't rate and review us, then we're not going to let you know how to get out of this hedge maze and you'll be stuck there forever. Uh, You can also subscribe to uh, Pledge to Us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, Patreon is a service where you can provide a small monthly recurring donation that goes to things like upgrading our audio equipment and paying our editor. um, And you get all sorts of perks along with that including a newsletter and uh, access to discounted merch and all sorts of other things. And speaking of merch, we do have a merch store that you can access by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch. Uh, And you can look through all different designs to choose to decorate your home or uh, wear on your body. Only if your step-grandfather gives you permission to wear them, though. Yes. All right. Um, finally, if you would like to follow me personally on Twitter, um, I'm at Renata Snacks. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at 14 across. Can we find you online, Ariel? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, my Twitter is Sondamite, like Stephen Sondheim, but with an I, like Sondamite. Yes, it's a good wordplay. And we will have that linked on our website if you are unsure to spell Stephen Sondheim for whatever reason um well ariel thank you for taking us on this journey as as reluctant (laughs) as we were to be dragged through it um i think we all really grew from the experience did we though maybe (laughs) (laughs) i got pneumonia oh at least you didn't die watch out for horses though (laughs) 
Um, all right. Well, we'll be back in two weeks with The Secret Circle by L.J. Smith. And uh, I guess we'll find out if that book has more or less incest in it or what. Probably less. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.